As we have mentioned already uh, this weekend, we've been studying and learning from individuals in the Bible that uh, aren't necessarily featured. You know, you go to uh, see certain movies or something like that, and it might say this is a feature of something, and they want to let you know that uh, this is a big deal. Well, uh, if we were to feature people in the Bible, we think of people like Abraham and Sarah or Moses or uh, in the New Testament, Peter and Paul. Uh, but these are folks that the Holy Spirit wants us to know about and presents to us uh, who they are. And so we're going to learn this morning from a man by the name of Justice. Now, last night we talked about Cornelius and there was about a chapter and a half written about him. There's one verse <laughs> written about Justice. Uh, so, but we're going to learn what we can from him because there's a reason that he's in, in the Bible. There's a reason that that story is there, and God wants us to learn from someone even like Justice. And so uh, we're going to look at him this morning. To kind of set the story, Paul had been preaching, and he'd been preaching in the synagogues, and he'd been preaching to Jews, and they, he was getting nowhere with them. Matter of fact, they were very obstinate towards him, and he got tired of that very thing. He got tired of preaching to people and they wouldn't listen to him and they wouldn't respond to him. He had the good news of Jesus Christ and they just would not accept it. You remember when Jesus said, I would have, oh Israel, I cry for you. I, I, how I would like to gather you under my wings like a chicken does, like a hen does her chicks. That's the way Paul felt. That, that's what I want to do. I want all of Israel to be saved, but they were rejecting him over and over and over again. And he needed some rest. And we're introduced to this man by the name of Justice. Where the Bible says in Acts chapter 18 and verse 7, And he departed from there, that, that he is Paul. He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. And so we, we look at this and you say, well, there's two verses there. You're right. One verse is about justice, and we'll continue on with that thought later on as we look at verse number 8. But this is who justice was. This is how the Holy Spirit describes him. He was just a man that happened to be a friend of Paul so that he could go and hang out at his house. And that's the very first thing we learn about justice is that he loved the brethren. And how do we know he loved the brethren? Well, because when Paul needed a place to go, when he needed some relief, when he needed some reprieve, when he needed some rest, where did he go? Well, he went to Justice's house. Because Paul entered his house, we know that he was at least, at the very least, hospitable. <laughs> but he, was, he loved the brethren. And so what we can learn from justice already is that we also need to love the brethren. We find in the New Testament, we find in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. If you love God, the response is to love his children. We are his people. It makes sense that we would love each other if we love God. Because we are all made in the image of God in the sense that we've been born again. We are all his children. And so uh, could you imagine 
God having his children and they're fighting with one another. If you've had children, you know what I'm talking about. That bothers you as a parent to have your children fighting, to see your children treating each other terribly and badly. You don't want that from your children. You want them to get along. You want them to love each other. And God certainly wants that of us too. He sees us all the same. We're all his children. And he loves us all. And so that's what he expects of us. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, here in verse 3, in verses 1 and 2, he talks about love in this way that if you, you can do a lot of things, but without love it profits nothing. And he goes on in verse 3 and says, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, what we see from this passage is that I could give all of my goods away, but if my motive is anything but love, it profits me nothing. Now, does it profit those who are receiving whatever I'm giving to them? Obviously, they do. And they would think, perhaps, that you were the most loving person in the world if you gave up everything and sold everything that you had and you gave it to them. Wow, they're generous. They're very loving people, but that might not be the case. What might be the case is I'm going to give all this away so that somebody says, man, he's really loving. He's really generous, and my motivation is really about my pride, not my love and my concern and my compassion. This passage tells us that it profits us nothing if our motivation is not in, in order, if it's not correct. It's got to be out of a real concern for our brother that we see them in need and we react to that from a motivation that says, I love that person. But the motivation has to lead us somewhere. See, in James chapter 2, James chapter 2 and verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things uh, which are needful for the body, what does it profit? So just imagine the scene for just a moment. One of you comes to my door and you haven't eaten for weeks. And you say, I'm hungry, I need food. And I say, depart from me, be warmed and filled. What good does it do that person? I love you. I can say I love you all I want. And I may genuinely have compassion for that person. I may genuinely care for that person and have bad feelings of the fact that they're hungry, but I don't give them food. What has my love done? Nothing. Hadn't profited them a thing. Now, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I don't use language like this. Somebody comes to me and says, I need something. I don't say, oh, I'll be warmed and filled. <laughs> That's not the way, but I do say this sometimes. I'll pray for you. Now, I don't want to diminish prayer. Prayer has its place, and we ought to pray for people, but there's more to it. This is no different. Someone coming to us to our door saying, I'm hungry, and we say, well, I'll pray for you, and we don't answer the prayer. Sometimes we need to be the answer to the prayer that we're asking for. We need to be that. We need to be the one to help them because love compels us or should compel us to act on the feelings that we have towards someone. The motivation is there that we care for someone we, and so we need to act on that. 
in a way that's proper and helpful for them. So we see a brother in need, just like justice did. Then we ought to be motivated by love to help them, and that ought to move us then to actually perform what is needful for that person. And if that means opening our home, we open our home. If that means giving them food, we give them food. If it means giving them clothes, we give them clothes. And at times, it may just be offering a prayer. But offer the prayer. Whatever's needed. To love your brethren means to step up and do those things. So the next thing we see about justice is he's one who worships God. Now, the, how do we know that? Because that's exactly what it says. <laughs> the, the other parts I kind of have to infer a little bit. This I don't have to infer. Now, I, want, I want you to think about this for just a moment. The Holy Spirit describes justice as one who worships God. Is there not a better description of anybody that the Holy Spirit can offer? And yet, we rarely, we, how often do we read about this story? We mostly look at Paul, and we kind of skip over justice a little bit. Now, I didn't want to do that. He's one who worships God. That's how he is described. If, if the Holy Spirit were going to write anything about me, I would hope it would be that, that I'm one who worships God. And that's what he says here. So we need to be a person also that worships God. We see in Psalm chapter 9, or the ninth Psalm, it's not a chapter, they're all individual songs, but the Verse 1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. Worship should encompass the whole heart. That's where it should come from. Just like loving our brethren should come from the heart, from a proper motivation, our worship to God should also come from our whole heart. That, that we believe in who God is, not just what he does for us. It's more than that. God is worthy of our praise regardless of what he's done for us because he's God. And for that, we ought to worship him. And yet, he's done so much more in what he's done for us too. So he's certainly worthy to be praised, isn't he? So we ought to do that with our whole heart. He gives us his whole. We ought to give, us, give him our whole. In Hebrews 2 and verse 12, says, Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. We ought to be a people that's willing to assemble with one another, that in that assembly, that purpose is to edify one another. But while we're there and together, we're going to praise God. Because we can go out in the world and we can spend every day out in the world and we can try to praise God as we should. But not everybody's going to join in. And sometimes that's difficult. And sometimes that's challenging because we know that we're going to face these confrontations sometimes. And these difficulties and these challenges. But here, in the assembly with God's people, I can praise with my whole heart and you're going to join me. It's a safe place. It's a place where we truly can express how we are towards God, our whole heart towards God, and we're in a safe environment to do it. And not only that, we're going to encourage each other by doing that because we're all participating in that. 
You might have heard this story because Michael gave me the illustration, but I'm going to share it here. There was an old lady that used to live across the street from a church building. And it was very difficult for her to get to church. It was a struggle every time. And yet, every Sunday, she would walk across the street and she would enter the building. And one time, this younger lady asked her, said, what is it that I can tell that you're hurting? I can tell that you're in pain. I can tell that this is a difficult thing for you to walk over here. Why do you do it? And she said, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm in pain. And I decide that morning I'm not going to go to church today. She said, then I see all the cars arriving. And everybody getting out of their car and they walk into the building. And she says, my heart goes to church. And so my body just follows. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have towards the assembly of the church. That everybody's there and we're worshiping God. And regardless of how I feel about my body, our, our, our body will follow our heart. And if we're, our praise is our whole heart to God, then our body will then follow. But I don't want to misunderstand or cause any misunderstanding here. Worship is not confined to the assembly. Again, in the book of Hebrews, this time in verse, chapter 13, verse 15, says, Therefore by him let us continually offer sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In everything we do, we should continually be praising God. When you go to work and you are given a task, you do that task as to the Lord. Not to your employer, but as to the Lord. Praising Him in doing that. There's no compartmentalizing when it comes to worship with God. Or worship to our God. We're not worshiping God just when we're at church or just when we're having dinner together and we say a little prayer together. Or just when we're putting the kids to bed and we say a little prayer. That's not when we're... The only times we're worshiping, I'm going to get a little bit on my, uh, 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 on my soapbox here for just a moment. Take time to be holy. I know the sentiment of the song. I understand what he's trying to say, take time to pray. But the idea of take time to be holy, we're always to be holy. We don't need to take time to do that if we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're to continually be praising God in everything we do. Not just when we're studying the Bible, not just when we're praying, but in everything, it ought to be an honor to God. And that's who Justice was. He was someone that the Holy Spirit describes as one who worshiped God. We also learn that he is someone who is living proof. Now, I'll explain that more deeply in just a moment, but here's the sense of what I get from what he's saying. I doesn't specifically say this, so I'm inferring, uh, but it talks about that his house joined hard to the synagogue. Well, the New King James says his house was next door to the synagogue. But if you look up that word, it does mean that it was attached to the synagogue, is the, is the sense of what he's saying. And so what I learned from this, from Justice, is that he was someone who wanted to be as close to God and his people as he possibly could be. That he was willing to not be Somewhere else, he, he was willing to give up the country life. He was willing to give up the big house. He was willing to give up the fancy house. And I don't know how fancy it was. It, but really, what he, what he cared about, really, was about being close to God and his people. We already know he loved the brethren. 
we know that he was a worshiper of God, so it makes sense that he would be around God's people as much as he can be and be where he could worship God as much as he could. And we see that from how he situated his living conditions. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not conform, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In this passage, he tells us, first of all, how we need to present ourselves as we leave our home and we enter the stage of life. You know, we, the, the world is a stage, right? So as we go out into the world, how we present ourselves is that we ought to be holy, that we ought to present ourselves a living sacrifice, and we ought to present ourselves acceptable to God. That's who we need to show ourselves to be for others. Because that's who we are. Not just, we're not pretending here. We're not actors on a stage. This is about who we are. Because of what? The mercies of God. Because God has been merciful. He compels me to live my life this way. Set apart as a living sacrifice. Setting myself apart from the things of the world. And then setting myself apart as being holy. And then acceptable to God. Doing what he asks me to do. And then he goes on in, that, in verse 2 that we transform ourselves through, and he says that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And this is where I get the idea of the living proof. Because he, he says that we do those things to do what? To prove the will of God. The, the uh, good, acceptable, and perfect is describing the will of God. So what we are to be is a living proof of the will of God as we live our life. That God and his people are our priority. There was a movie called Man on the Moon. Not necessarily endorsing the movie. Uh, but Jim Carrey plays uh, Andy Kaufman. And my understanding from this, from what he did is that he totally got into the mind of Andy Kaufman to try to play this part as close to who Andy Kaufman would have been. And in, a, in essence, he became the living proof of Andy Kaufman in the way that he presented himself. He was willing to sacrifice himself to become more like Andy Kaufman. And because of that, he portrayed him very well. We need to do that with Christ. We need to let ourselves go and become who he is, who he intends for us to be, that when people see us, they don't see me, but they see Jesus. They see the will of God living in our lives. And what kind of an impact that can have. This may look like somebody, just, this just looks like somebody who just lives the average, ordinary Christian life. He's a guy that has people in his home. He lives right next door to the church building. And... You know, anybody that's coming by, they can come over. They're always welcome. He goes to church when he's supposed to go to church. He this just looks like an average guy, right? I want you to notice his impact. That's verse 8. 
It says there that Crispus believed on the Lord with all his household. You say, well, what does that have to do with justice? Where, who was Crispus? <laughs> Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. You think Crispus knew who justice was? Where was justice's house? I bet you it was pretty common for Crispus to come do his duties as the ruler of the synagogue and see Justice sitting out there drinking his coffee. Hey, Justice, how's it going? Hey, Crispus. How are things going with the family? Oh, they're going good. You know that they had conversations with one another. They knew, who each, other, they knew each other because that's where he lived. <laughs> they certainly would have known each other. And because of that relationship, it led to something deeper, led to something further. Not only that, but it goes on to say that many of the Corinthians believed and were baptized. This all started with one man and his relationship with God, justice. And because he had a relationship with God, and he had a relationship with another man, that being Crispus, he even used his relationship with Paul to influence the relationship with Crispus. And so Crispus then had a relationship with God. And from there, Crispus's influence, based on Justice's influence, went from there until you have all these different people coming to Jesus and obeying God. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> okay. So what we see from this is... <clears throat> One individual that lives his life in such a way that compels others, that is influenced by others so that they also come to God. They also come to Jesus Christ. If we want to build this congregation here, then it starts with you. It starts with your relationship with God. And then your relationship with everyone else and how that could lead to bigger and more people coming to Jesus Christ. In a moment, we'll talk about how to do that. <clears throat> Our next passage is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. I'm going to have to get through these, but I can do that real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always, or and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That word sanctify means to set apart. And that means that you set apart yourself on the throne of your heart and you allow Jesus to sit there. That God is the ruler of your life from the inside out. You sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You put him first, you put him only. Everything you do is about him. And what happens? You need to be ready to give an answer, to give a defense. Well, for what? Why, why would you need to be ready? Someone's going to notice. Someone's going to say they live their life different. What's different? Why do you live that way? Why do you walk around with a smile on your face? Why are you always singing? Why do you always do a good job? Don't you ever take a break? They're going to ask you, why do you do that? What? And in, in moments of temptation, in moments of perhaps torture, 
any kind of persecution and you stand there and you take it and they say, why do you take it? Because I do this for Jesus. I do this for my God. And so they say, why? You need to be ready to answer that. That's who Justice was. He was the kind of person that lived that way that Crispus noticed and others noticed. Then we find in John chapter 13 as Jesus is talking to His disciples, He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you that you also love one another. By this will all know, all will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. You know, the new commandment isn't the fact that He says you need to love one another. That wasn't new. That's been since the Old Testament. Love your neighbors yourself. That's, there's nothing new about that. What was new was that Jesus said, you love like I have loved. That was the difference. You love self-sacrificially. You live in a way, you love in a way that you help the other person and that other person is more valuable to you than yourself. Because that's who Jesus was. That's what kind of love Jesus had for all. And so he says, that's the way you love. And what happens when you love that way? Not just love the world, but when we love each other that way. When we're so close-knit and such a good, tight family that we treat each other with kindness. We use kind words. That when someone's in need, we truly, genuinely help that person. When we do that, people will say, y'all belong to Jesus. That's who you are. You're a disciple or a student of Jesus because that's how Jesus loved. That's what Jesus is saying. And so people are drawn into that. They're compelled to come to you now because they want to be a part of what you have when you have that kind of love for one another. You may think you're just an average Christian, that you live your life the best you can, that you're one who actually worships God, that you do love the brethren, they're welcome into your home, that you have them in your home. And you may think, I'm not really doing anything, but that's not true. You can be just like justice. And you can have an impact and an influence on, on the lives of people, but first you've got to sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and you've got to love the brethren like Jesus did. And when you do that, you'll compel people. You'll move them. You'll influence them. And you'll make a difference in people's lives. So this morning, if the Holy Spirit were to present you, would he say this about you? That you love the brethren, that you worship God, and that you are living proof of the will of God. If not, why not? If not, what needs to change? Do you have a problem with one of your brothers or sisters? It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be taken care of. You've got to fix that. If you're one who struggles praying to God, if you struggle going to work and doing your job, and it's, you've compartmentalized your life so much, that it's not about praising God in everything you do. That needs to change. And if you are not living the will of God, that needs to change. Change today. We will help you. In just a moment, we're going to 
sing a song. And while we're singing that song, it's to invite you to come forward so that the church can meet your needs. Now, we've already talked about this. We will pray for you. That's one thing that we will do. But that's not where it's going to end. We're going to minister to you too. Whatever that need is that you might have, we'll help you through it. Because that's what brethren do for each other. That's what family does for each other. We're not here to make fun of you. We're not here to ridicule you. We're certainly not here to judge you. We're here to help each other. And if this is not the life you're living, let us help you. If you need to obey the gospel to become a part of that family, do it. You're certainly not worshiping God by not doing that. You're not even a family member. Take advantage of the brethren and, and, and the love that they can have. Don't, don't just throw that away and become the living proof of the will of God as you live your life from here on forward. If you need prayers of the church, you need to obey the gospel, do that. Something has to change. Change it this morning. And let us know by coming forward while we stand and while we sing. <clears throat>